Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode five of Conversations About America, where we talk about important and relevant topics. My distinguished panel is Essence Reigns, podcaster and hostess of Deceptively Unique. Robert Gonzalez, author of a book called Eagle's Claws for Freedom's Cause, and Quentin Ford, host of a great talk show called Let's Talk. So glad to have all you folks with me this evening. And I hope you're ready to be here. Some good talking. I am. I'm excited. All right. Very good. That's what I like. So let's talk about Malcolm X first. Uh, what do you, who wants to jump in and give us a preview? Go ahead there. Go, Essence. Um, well, I would like to say that earlier this week this was my first time ever hearing the bullet or the ballot speech. Is it? Yes. And I was totally floored. Yeah. I was. Um, Malcolm X was a very, very, very great man. Yeah. Very great man. He was a great speaker, too. Yes. Yeah. So do you think that that speech has made a big difference? Do you want me to? The, the, yeah, go ahead. Um, it made a difference to me. Um, it was what, what, April 12, 1964? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, and and I don't want to give away my age, but that was, that was before I was born. Um, well, yeah, I was born in 78. So that was, that was well before I was born. But the, the impact that that speech should have made back then is well is more than relevant now yeah yeah it's kind of sad that things haven't really changed all that much in all these years that's why they i'm sorry i, I don't mean to take over that's that's why that's why malcolm x had to be eradicated because had people started listening to that black people had black people started listening to that we would what the world that we live in today would not be situated quite the yeah. way it is right now. Yeah, I have a I have a unique position because growing up in North Jersey, um, you I, I I knew a lot of elders that knew him. Uh, I had an uncle that was in the Nation of Islam at the time, and um, me growing up. It was a neighborhood bookstore that I'm very close with, where I listened to a lot of his speeches. I actually was, I actually went to Malcolm X Shabazz High School in Newark, New Jersey um, for some time, for a year. Um, Malcolm X to me was probably one of the most misunderstood individuals ever. I think that his speeches were so unbiased when it comes to political aspects, he was not a politician. He was legitimately a true activist and he didn't lean to the right or to the left. And that that is probably what made him more dangerous than most politicians, most activists, because some activists will gear towards a political party and he were not he was not geared to a political party. I think he was probably one of the most and one of the greatest orators that ever lived. Um, for an individual like him to be able to 
not have no secondary education, but to be able to communicate on the level of the people that he was communicating at the time was literally incredible. Yeah. Um, he should be studied. I think he should be studied today. I think one of America's biggest issues with him and why he's not as platable, for lack of better words, than most of uh, civil rights leaders is because it would appear that he was more radical. But I believe that if the younger generation, my generation, younger than my generation, was to really, really listen to him, oh, he was a big loss. Yeah. It was, he was a tremendous loss. And um, when, you, when you sit back and think about him, Medgar Evers and Dr. King dying before they were 40 years old. Yeah. They didn't even scratch the surface of manhood. Yeah. You know? What do you think, Bob? I don't know as much about him as Essence or Quentin do. Um, I know about him from the um, influence he had, like, in the early 60s. Uh, you know, and um, Muhammad Ali and people like that. I know that his his influence was very profound, and uh, but I, I agree with Quentin. He he was a big loss because I I think he um he was a good natured soul. I don't think he um he, he was not a harm doer from what I know about him. Um, that's yeah. pretty much what I have to say about him. Yeah. He had a big falling out with Elijah Muhammad after a while. Didn't yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that, um, you know, not that I did a, a show on him when they came out with the documentary on Netflix about uh, who killed Malcolm X. And um, some of the guys that were accused, one of the guys that was accused of killing him, I know him um, before he died. And um, one of the things that most people will not want to admit about him is that during that time, he was not a hero. He was disliked by his country for when he was in the Nation of Islam. And then when he left the Nation of Islam, he was basically an enemy to their movement. Yeah. So a lot of people will try to romanticize who he is now. He's our hero now. And what I mean by that is his reverence got bigger after his death. As far as the next generation, when people start realizing what, what a great loss he was. Yeah. I mean, the man died with, I think, 20-something dollars in his pocket. His family was broke um, until some people helped out, made sure his kids got into the Jack and Jill program. I mean, they didn't have anything. His his wife basically, you know, gripped down and wound up graduating from college and so forth so and became a teacher at Megas Evers College. But opposed to Dr. King, he had life insurance. Dr. King had life insurance after because of what happened with Malcolm. Yeah. And um, I think that a lot of times, because he's our hero, we think that, um, as we would say, the, uh, the actual killers will be exposed. But people don't really want to deal with that. I know New York City had just opened up the investigation to his death. I don't think they'll ever really truly find out because it was a lot of complicit people and some even say the government had, were complicit because they were watching them, had them under surveillance. So they knew what was about to happen. 
Um, so I don't think when you look at the players, nobody really wants to know. Um, we may want to know, but none of those older people want to know who and what was complicit in his death. Well, it was clearly the nation of Islam, though, right? Some people say uh, our government as well. You know, I don't want to mess up your podcast, Stephen. Oh, you know, have us on a no, uh, just... have a, have us a, have us on a watch or anything. But <laughs> you know, some people say that our government was very complicit um, because they were watching him. He was under surveillance, yeah. and you know, I I know from experience and seeing certain things that they do watch crimes happen. Yeah, and um. You know, it's kind of ironic that we would think this about our own government, but um, even even with, you know, Dr. King's death, they actually were found liable in the United States court with conspiracy to kill Dr. King. So it's not really too far-fetched yeah. to say that they may have had something to do with Malcolm's death as well. It was... I'm sorry, go ahead, Essence. I'm sorry. It was it was it was a combination of both, in my opinion. I don't know, I wasn't even alive then. But uh just from 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 looking at clues and putting little things together, um Malcolm X was such a powerful movement for black nationalism. Mm-hmm. And people were starting <clears throat> to pay attention. The nation of Islam, uh and I don't know, but I'm just going by what I've seen, the research that I've done. I'm still researching. I'm still learning every single day. He, Malcolm X was a man that was a man amongst men, if that makes sense. Yeah. And he was a leader. That is what the Black community is floundering for today. We do not have uh, that Black leadership uh, Quentin was speaking about it earlier about the type of man that he was. Um, and we do not have that anymore. The unbiasedness, the, uh, you know, we're not even going to bring religion into the conversation at all. We are just Black people, and this is what we all have the same problem. And a man that, control, that can will and, and speak that much knowledge into others and people actually paid attention they had to take care of him even the nation of islam because he was living a life that even they did not and we're not going to sit here and, and pretend like the government doesn't send decoys in to infiltrate when they see a problem rising and that is what i believe that they did with malcolm x but it, i don't think it was too hard to do because malcolm x was 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 commanding more power than they did and he was raising too much uh awareness yeah one of the one of the one of the things that he said that's interesting um him dying before the civil rights bill was actually passed which is which is amazing he said um if we're not careful they're going to turn civil rights into human rights Oh, profound statement when you look at it, because even though some strides have been made when it comes to civil rights and human rights are equally important, um, I, I personally believe that each movement can coexist without intertwining. 
Um, because one of the things with intertwining movements is you wind up getting left. Somebody wind up getting left out instead of East. Like, and, and, it's, and it goes the same way with people. When you look at a lot of Dr. You, you know, a lot of people will try to say him and Dr. King were rivals. Um, I, I, I never looked at it like that because one was in the North, which is totally different than the South. I mean, totally two different worlds. Uh, and even to this day, we, a lot of us, even with social media, um, we, we tend to think that each area is the same and it's not. People are different. Um, the way it was is different. You know, Malcolm can say fight back up North, but the reality of a lot of people in the South during the King was you had night riders. You had to get, you had sundown towns down in the South. That was, I mean, in, in and of itself is crazy that you literally had to be, make sure you were out, not out at night because you would not make it where you intended to go. So I think that um, one of the things that Hoover did um, is he pitted them against each other subconsciously. And if you look at the end of their death, when Malcolm, after he went to Mecca and he, he changed and he, his views changed and he realized that America's problem needed to be put on blast in the world stage, that became a bigger issue. Um, and when King realized after the concessions that he gave up to get the civil rights bill passed, Dr. King had some regrets a little bit because he realized how the government was basically playing a big game with him. Um, they were pacifying him and trying to keep him at bay. And he realized like, you're keeping me at bay. And at the same time, in one of his speeches, he said at the same time, you're giving out free grants to immigrants all over the country why black people have been suffering. And, you know, he had got his information and a lot of his knowledge from a Philip Randolph, and they had explained to him, like, this government's been doing this for the last hundred years since the uh, 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment. It's been, a, it's been a long, drawn out game that our government has been playing with its, with its citizens. No, they've been doing that since the Willie Lynch letter. Yeah, they've been doing that since then. Bob, would you want to say something? Um, I'm kind of winging it this week. You guys know a lot about more about this than I do. But um, if you want to talk a little bit about John Brown later, uh, I do know <laughs> a little bit of a little yeah, bit we're about. Yeah, going to get to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's a hero there. Uh, yeah. Did you enjoy that little jingle I sent you? I mean, I'm sure y'all heard it before. I, I, I absolutely did. I'm, I'm, I'm a big John John Brown story. Should get, even though I know they did the um, Ethan Hawke and them did a show on HBO last year about it. His story should be told a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Before we get away from Malcolm X, let me ask this question: What do you think would be the result? if the ballot and the bullet speech were to become popular and spread around now, today, what, do you think it would have a good impact? 
I think I think I think when it, Steve, outside of outside of you, and probably three or four other people, I'm a, I'm a registered independent. Outside of you, or three or four other people, I wouldn't vote for them. Period. Um, and the and the reason why is because somehow another a way or another, politicians in our country have made it seem like we owe them something. Yeah. Instead of them owing us something, our our vote should not be played with, not taken for granted. And whether you're a Republican or Democrat, this two-party system has literally destroyed their parties and destroyed the faith in the voting system. Just think about the Voter Rights Act. We're still going through this. Yeah. Like, like honestly, we're, we're still going through this 50 years later where this is an act that still has to be voted on. This should not be an act. It should literally be an amendment to a bill, period, period. It shouldn't have to be an act that every two, three years they have to vote on it. And it's still dragging their feet. And it's, it's really sad that you basically only hear from politicians during, during election time. You know, the more I learned about the civil rights movement and slavery and the whole history of our nation, the more I realized there's not a lot has really changed. <laughs> we changed the dialogue, we changed the players, and we you now talk about it differently. We frame everything differently. But like you say, we're still fighting for civil rights, voting rights, and it's even yeah. even when even when you when you um when you deal with things head on and deal with racism, what happens is it's more of let's deal with it as a spur, <clears throat> excuse me, as a spur of the moment. Or if somebody or a group or a group of people mess up bad enough, it has to be like, okay, let's embarrass them and you know, ostracize them in our society because of what they what they said and did. Yeah. But let's not really get to the root of the issue. Like, for example, CRT. I'm just bringing it up. I, know, I don't know how anybody feels about CRT. We would not go through CRT issues right now if our school system just taught history. Whether it's bad, good, just teach our history. Black history is part of American history. Just teach our history and don't lie about nothing. Yeah. Don't lie about nothing about our Irish brothers and sisters, our Italian brothers and sisters. And if you just teach history and how everybody was affected because we were different, you won't have these issues. Yeah. Where it's like we're holding on to something like, like I said yesterday, we don't want people to see the black eye. It's a black eye. You can't keep walking around with something over your eye. It's a black eye. Deal with it. No, I'm, like to, I'm sorry. I'd like to say something real quick. Um, yeah. When you uh, black people only hear from politicians during election year, it's not um, we don't hear from them because that's the only time that we're relevant is when they need our vote. In which uh, Malcolm X actually spoke about that as well. Uh, in reference to the ballot or the bullet speech, the impact that it would have. And I'm not even talking about politicians or government. I'm just speaking on black people, period. 
we have been manipulated so much that that speech right now, because I cut a clip of that and I, I put it out there because I wanted to see what type of reaction it would get. And and I think the 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 the, the part that I cut out was when Malcolm X was speaking of uh, black people uh, establishing their own businesses and how uh, white people would not come to our businesses because they would rather keep their dollar in their neighborhood. Um, when I say I got almost zero reaction from it, and that is sad to me. My people have been manipulated so much that they do not want to hear the truth. Everything that man said in that speech is is well over 20 years old, 40, I'm sorry, 40 years old. And, and it still is relevant today. And that is sad to me. I just, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm, I'm passionate about my people. Do I believe in black nationalism? Yes. Essence, can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you, do you, um, do you think it's, it's more of, they're not used to really holding their vote? Uh, I think that, uh, you talking about black people? Mm -hmm. I think that black people are, an, I don't want to say ignorant, but we have been manipulated to the point where, like, for example, when I was a little girl, my mom used to always say, if you want to hide something from a black person, put it in a book. And because we went from uh, it being illegal for us to know how to read and write for it to be uncool if we were smart. Like, you are dumb if you're smart. Like, I was ridiculed in school because I was a little bit smarter than the others. And the thing is, is what Black people don't realize is we all have that in us. But we've been manipulated by the system so much that we don't understand it. Yeah. We don't realize that. We don't know. And so we sit up there and believe all the all the BS that we see, all the stereotypes that they put on TV about us that they've been doing for years, how they, they we're so busy arguing amongst each other, we don't see any of this stuff. Yeah. And a lot of times people were killed. You know, how many stories have we seen and heard from uh, back in the 50s and 60s where Black people were killed for getting too uppity. I'm sure y'all heard that term. I mean, that was an excuse. To but the me. thing is, the, the, the phrase the phrase uppity actually came from um, the Great Migration up north. Did it? Is when a lot of when a lot of the blacks came up north, they forgot about their brethren in the south. And the thing was, they were supposed to come back and pull them back. Basically, go up north and find a better way and come get, come back and get their families. But what happened, a lot of the Blacks that did migrate up north got up north and started acting uppity. And, um, you know, basically turned their back on what was going on in the South. Yeah. Well, I don't think that they turned their back so much as they... they uh, 
began to pit us against each other more so. The manipul I don't think that black people realize the depth of the manipulation that has been put upon us since slavery. Again, I I just read, I am learning, I am a work in progress. I read the Willie Lynch letter and everything and, and how to make a slave. And that was just as impactful to me as the ballot or the bullet speech. Hmm. It is sad. They have turned us against each other. Black women suffer from so much low self-esteem. I know this is entirely left field, but it is because of the manipulation that has been put upon us. You know, and, and, and the, the, the people that went up north versus the people that went down, that, that remained in the south were pit against each other. We're the same. It don't matter where we at. We all black. It does not matter where we're at. We all black. Uh, yeah. So, anything else on Malcolm X before we move let, on? Let, let, me, let me just add this one thing to what okay. what Esther said about um, politicians ignoring black people. If politicians aren't too crazy about white people either. Their favorite color is green. You know, it, as long as the money's coming in, they like that green. It doesn't matter if you're white or black or anything else in between. It's green. So that's that's what I wanted to add. Okay. Well, let's go to Rosa Parks. She was a very, very brave lady. And I learned a few things about her this past week. You know, I didn't know she was big in the civil rights movement before the she made her stand on the bus. But she was. She was already an activist. And I also learned that she wasn't the first person to refuse to give up her seat on the bus. I didn't know that either. So any comments on Rosa Parks? This is this is this is where I might I might go a little left. Um, you know, I have to excuse my the, the co-host on the show. Um I'll just say that Miss Parks was a true uh, civil rights uh, advocate. Um, one of the things in our in the black community that um, bothers bothers me, and I don't know if it bothers Essence as much, is symbolism. Um, a lot of symbolic gestures happen. One thing that the NWACP did is she worked well with the NAACP Ms. Parks. Yeah. And they did a lot of things that were to try to bring light to a situation um, that most people didn't see. Like they would send, they would send Thurgood Marshall to look at certain cases to bring light to what was going on. So I think that a lot of times with Mrs. Parks, um, like you found out, Steve, that she wasn't the first person to boycott. I know you were like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, why she was, why was her case more talked about? And I think that in, in, in the black community, it's so much other internal issues that happen that could be real bothersome for the movement. I mean, colorism is a major thing in this world um, outside of just racism. And, um, 
and in essence talked about that and she's learning that from the book about how a light-skinned black will be pitted against a, black, a dark-skinned black and it's unfortunate that this stuff happens even in movements um it shouldn't be it shouldn't happen that based off of the the the, the shade of your colorism um it's really dictates how people respond to you know rosa rosa parks actually looked at like a, a white woman um a fair-skinned white woman or a woman a white woman with a little bit of color so she had access to certain things that the first woman that you said did not have access to um yeah. so i'll just leave it at that i'm not going to say yeah. that she wasn't a, a civil rights icon i'll just say that they were um they were doing a lot of symbolic things back then yeah. What do you well, think, Essence? I I would like to pose more of a question. Um, I have always wanted to know why we fought so hard for equality. Equality equals does not always mean the same. I could have a thousand marbles, right? And a thousand bricks. It's an equal amount. It's not the same. Uh, black people at one time did have, uh, we had our own buses and and we we had our own restaurants and, and stuff like that. It might not have been uh, like the white people's um, buses or restaurants, but we had our own, our own drivers and, and stuff like that. And we were fighting to be equal with when we already had something. So my question was why? I've always wondered that, why? Why do black people need to segregate? As, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna refer you to something else since I got something right here on my desk. Right here. <clears throat> this is the most powerful book by Dr. King. This is the last book he wrote. It says, where do we go from here? This book is the book where everybody uses his quote that, and I'm quite sure you heard it, Essence, Stephen, Bob, I don't know if you heard it. One of his famous quotes that he said before he died is, I think I sent my people into a burning house. Really? Yeah. Whew. That book um, details the last two years of his life where a lot of people say that, and I don't like to use the word that he got more radical. Um, and he talks about The civil rights movement was kind of like, like I said, it kind of got deterred on some things that though they were right, like a lot of, like, for example, a lot of people don't realize what was the March on Washington about? What was it really about? Jobs. That's what it was about. It was about jobs. But when you look at why it was a bunch of different organizations that had to do this to get to, they did it together. Right, wrong, and different. They did it together to do it. But what happens is that your causes wind up getting mixed up. The things that Dr. King fought for, he got involved with the Vietnam War. Now, a lot of people will say that is the that was the, like the nail on the coffin. When you started talking about that war during that time, this is when Hoover started his stuff. 
that could have been prior to that. But when he saw it, started saying he, they were dealing with these younger people going to them campuses and they were younger people have a little bit more vigor than elders. So um, Hoover felt as though the Republic was at stake. I don't agree with that, but I'm just saying to Essence's question, I don't think that it was really about being equal. I think it was about more of being um, <laughs> he wasn't a, a segregationist. He was more of not, let's not integrate, but don't segregate. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not telling you to, we should integrate, but we should stop segregation. It's it's a it's an interesting thing when you speak about communities, and how um, even to this day you have communities that have like Chinatown, for example. I'm not speaking ill of any community, but we had those black towns, yeah. and they were all across the country, and their movements kind of like destroyed those areas. Like what happened? Like what? <laughs> You know. um, as far as the, the, the black towns that were destroyed, I don't think it was the movements themselves that destroyed it, but the prosperity that, that existed within these communities is why these towns were destroyed. Um, black Wall Street is just one of many that were a black prosperous thriving towns where the black dollar was rolling through continuously and that was a problem i don't think that black people understand the power of our dollar we are very much needed in this nation but we essentially if we had all the stuff that we were supposed to have we don't need this nation but this nation needs us if that makes sense yeah Rob, do you think the Montgomery bus boycott was kind of a good example of that? Yes. I mean, they took yes. a stand and they made a difference, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. it's like I said, it's interesting when you think about that bus, but that boycott because um, it crippled it crippled their 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 access of community transportation at the time, and um, yeah, they suffered. It served it served its purpose. Yeah, and, so and like any other, like any other business in this country, this country's on capitalism. Yeah, start messing with people's bottom line, yeah. you're gonna change up. And we see that. I mean, the last four or five years have shown us you got companies that are literally switch into a complete 180 once their bottom line gets affected. Yeah. yeah. And Martin Luther King kind of got into the scene in a big way during the bus boycott, didn't he? That was kind of like a springboard for him. Now, I'm not saying he wouldn't have rose to prominence anyway, but that, as I understand, it was kind of a thing that gave him the big boost. Am I right? Yeah. He, he was, you know, you know, Martin Luther King, um, we, we discussed him last week, um, once again, was a very smart man to be so young. Very good, very good orator. I think, like I said, 
He's more platable. Unfortunately, our country still looks at it like this. He's more platable to white America than Malcolm, which is weird because if you read their works and you go back to Malcolm's last two years compared to Martin's last two years, Martin had gotten tired of our government and fed up, rightfully so, because he saw the games. He started seeing things. He had more of a worldview of what was going on and um and 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 really seeing how you know only thing Hoover wanted to do was call his wife and tell him about these secret tapes. I mean, be that as may, but he saw like, here it is, I'm working with these people trying to help and, and, and bring my people um to be treated equal. And the government that is I'm having these meetings with and working with. They're backstabbing me, yeah. uh, you know, and it's really um, and and then having people within his immediate circle working with the government, infiltrating the government, um, setting him up to get killed. <laughs> very interesting. Very he interesting. We have a very tortured existence, you know, emotionally dealing with all of that, you know, and trying to. Make the world a better place for everybody. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, um, not to cut you off, it is really, really hard to sit there and turn the other cheek when somebody's slapping you mm-hmm. on the other side. Yeah. When they are setting dogs on you and you are trying to remain peaceful. Yeah. And so I believe, uh, as Quentin was saying, the last two years of, of Dr. King's life, he had like had it up to here. You know, I believe he was starting to adopt some of Malcolm X's philosophies, which had those two gotten together, that would have been a force to be reckoned with. Had they been on the same They met at some point. I thought so. See, see, I believe that activism is a very lonely road. And once, if you're a true activism for people, um, my personal belief is I don't believe that any activist could be a politician. I believe that because when you're an activist, you have to be an activist for everybody. Um, so when you go into the political arena, you could, you could be bought. Just, just the way it is. Um, you know, they can change your messaging. And it's just like any other thing, <laughs> other thing when you're dealing in this country with capitalism, you know, even our platform and what we are trying to do is we're trying to get our platform to another level, but it's like, okay, now what happens if sponsorship comes involved? They want to try to tell us what to say, and we don't want to be in that position to be having our message changed. You know, so it's like at a certain point in a certain time, if you have that influence over people and be able to affect real positive change, um, you got to be able to travel down that road alone. And we're talking about everybody may turn their back on. And I don't think a lot of people understand the sacrifices that true, true activists go through um, and have went through since the beginning of time. I mean, this country is built on dissent. And if you look at what's going on now, they don't even want you to disagree with the majority, which is weird. I mean, it's it's like you said, Steve, it's like 
we've came so far, but did we really? Yeah. I mean, really, I don't think we have. No, I don't know. No. We're I'm no not... different. We're no different than the guys, your first show, your first show, Steve, the Boston Tea Party. We're no, if you look at us, we are no different. <laughs> the language you know. has changed. You know, the rhetoric has changed. But still the same struggle. Mm -hmm. uh, let's move on to Virginia Foster Durr. Had any of you ever heard of her before? No. I had not. Bob, had you heard of her before I mentioned last no. week? No. I, I just kind of ran across her name and started reading about it, and she was a very interesting lady. She was a house, housewife and political activist, and she was a good friend of Rosa Parks. And, uh, and also a good friend of Eleanor Roosevelt. And she joined the Women's National Democratic Club and in 1938, she was one of the founding members of the Southern Conference for Human Welfare, an interracial group working to reduce segregation and improve living conditions in the South. Uh, now that's according to history.com. So she worked jointly with liberal political leaders in order to gain the necessary support needed for legislation which ultimately resulted in the passing of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So she played an important role. Hmm. And, and, and that, that goes to show, Steve, is like so many people were influential in the Voting Rights Act, the March on Washington, that, you know, um, the most known person was Dr. King. Um, up in the New York area, a lot of people made a lot of people know who it is, but I'm quite sure a lot of people don't know who Adam Clayton Powell was. Um, Adam Clayton Powell didn't get along with Dr. King. He was a reverend within his own right, and he did a lot. And he would not come to the March on Washington because of Dr. King. And um, a lot of people fought um, in those movements um, for civil rights, for the voters' rights, voters voters act. Um, that were not just black as well as white people. Um, you know, I had, uh, <laughs> I remember I did did a, uh, a live one time when I was telling somebody about Bill Ayers, Dr. Bill Ayers, and how President Obama had to basically, when he was running for president, he had to denounce Bill Ayers because Bill Ayers was part of the weather the weather underground, and it's like. It's crazy how he had to denounce him, according to people in his 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 team, in order to become president. But Bill Ayers is uh, a fight. If you look at it, if some people will consider Bill Ayers is anti-government, and then some people will say Bill Ayers is a hero. Um, so it's like. You know, that name doesn't ring a bell with me. Oh, when you look them up, you're going to be very interested. Okay. <laughs> um, but like, but like me and you had said, Steve, before, it's so many of these people. They're still around. It's a lot of people in the civil rights movement, um, still around. They're oldest. Um, one of the civil rights leaders just passed away this week. 
uh, Miss Richardson. I had posted about her, but I can't remember her first name. She just passed away. She was real, she was real inf- influential, uh, real influential in the civil rights movement. I don't, I can't remember her. Hold on. Gloria Richardson, excuse me. She died July 15th. She died, she did, yeah, she died. She was 99 years old. She died July 15th. She's considered a civil rights pioneer. Okay. She was around during those times. And, um, you know, you these people are around, they're elders and like, <laughs> I'm quite sure they like how things are going, but they might dislike how things have gotten shifted. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to John Brown. Bob, come on now, say something. I, <laughs> I went to Wilkes, Quentin, Wilkes University back in the day. Oh boy, right down the street from my house. Yeah, and uh, I did a, a paper on John Brown many years ago. Did you? Yeah. Um, I, I, he was totally anti-slavery and uh, yeah yeah he 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 um was going around the country trying to warn people of what was coming and uh he was kind of thought about as a lunatic in his day but it turns out that uh all the things that he predicted came true he he died before the war started or he he was i think he he was assassinated by a, a group right if i remember correctly and um well he had a trial and they found him guilty yeah, okay. Probably being and, a traitor. Yeah, they used to hang people in those days, right? Yeah, they hung him. Yeah. Yeah. And um but uh he 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 his story is an interesting one if you you know about the he knew what was coming and he tried to warn everybody. I think he was more radical than Malcolm X. What do you think? I mean he didn't he just didn't make bones about it. He believed oh, in yeah. any kind of violence necessary yeah. that yeah. Black people. I mean, he didn't. Yeah. He devoted yeah. his life to it. John, yeah. John Brown was willing to burn his thing, burn his country down. Um, yeah. He was willing to do anything. John Brown is the the true meaning of an American hero. I didn't know much about John Brown until a couple of years ago. Yeah. And it's funny because I am a diehard Frederick Douglass fan. However. Um, during their time together, I probably would have sided with John Brown. Um, because he saw some, like, like, like Bob said, he saw some things that were coming and he risked his, he lost his life and his son's life for people to be treated equally and against slavery. I mean, it's a it's a shame that we have all these statutes of people and John Brown is probably when you look at his life and what he stood for, probably one of the greatest Americans that ever lived. But you know, a lot of people think that he was a terrorist and a traitor. There's a lot of people feel that way about him. Yeah, it's interesting. 
Uh, America kind of has the tendency to feel like that about anybody that does not agree with their government system. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Julius Waiting's Warring. So who's the authority on him? That's you, Steve. <laughs> He was a United States District Judge of the United States District Court for the Eastern District of South Carolina, who played an important role in the early legal battles of the American Civil Rights Movement and who opened white primaries to black voters. And during his career, he fought against racial segregation and worked towards equal opportunities for the black community in political, economic, and educational spheres. So he was a big asset on, on the bench. So he definitely did, did a lot. But Quentin, this guy that you thought you were telling me to read about, go ahead and tell us about him. Oh, A. a Philip Randolph was, um... He was probably the first. He um, he was probably the first African American that actually talked about reparations, open and publicly. Um, and America living up to the forty acres in the mill, and um, what happened? Why the, the slaves did not get the forty acres in the mill? Um, I do believe that uh, <laughs> Lincoln was actually killed. Because of Lincoln was very complex. And, and the reason why I say that is because he wasn't, the statement wasn't that he wanted to free the slaves, which everybody knows. Um, he basically did it to save the union. But he did do some things after the war that were initiated where the slaves and even the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, where they would have been on equal footing. And him getting killed really set it back. Um, so A. Philip Randolph was born during that time okay. after the war. And um, he was an advocate. He was born in Florida. He was, he was an advocate for, as we would say, <laughs> freedom, justice, and equality. This has been the same fight for over 100 and some odd years. Freedom, justice, and equality. And um, he was influential with King. You know, um, towards his latter years in the last, probably he died in the early 2000s, I mean, 70s, he actually um, was behind the scenes to a lot of the, the well-known um, civil rights people. Um, I can't even give him justice by even trying to speak about him in, in, in 15, 20 minutes. Um, he, he should be honored and, and really more of a hero than most people We'll give him, as we'd like to say nowadays, let's give him his flowers while he's alive. Yeah. His flowers need to be talked about. He needs to be studied in universities and um, explained as well as Martin, like um, Malcolm X's father. Malcolm X's father was was a true, uh, I don't like to say revolution. I just like to say evolutionary. He was a true evolutionary. He, he was a visionary. He was a preacher but he understood what the plight was for the black man in America. So this was Malcolm's foundation 
before he was up in Massachusetts area committing crime and then going to jail and then, you know, coming across the teachings of Elijah Muhammad. So he, Malcolm had a foundation of standing up for what was right from the, and then this and um, goes back to the black church was so important during the civil rights movement that um, they kind of dropped the ball to today. I mean, even, even when we talked about Martin Luther King, and I don't mean to be babbling, but even when we talked about Martin Luther King, he could not go to all the black churches. All the, a lot of the black churches didn't want that. Man. He was a troublemaker. He was not liked by everybody. <laughs> so it's just, you know, we, we, after they die and their legacy is, is just stone, we like to romanticize and be like, these people were great. Great people that go against the establishment are not great while they're going against the establishment. They are not. They are not. They're not getting. They're not getting on TV. Yeah. They're not going to be on. Nobody's going to invite them on their podcast. Yeah. <laughs> they they um, get your podcast might get threatened with getting taken down. <laughs> if you have such and such. And um, I, had a, I had a gentleman on my podcast this week who I'm real close with. Um. He, it's like a, a connection that I have with him and he's connected with some people down in DC. And I was telling him, I had, he had referred me to a book that um, Bobby Kennedy Jr. has. And you know, Bobby Kennedy Jr. is being ostracized right now because he's anti-vaccine. Now, I'm not anti-vaccine. I've been vaccinated before. I'm anti-think for yourself. I mean, I'm anti, don't think for everybody. Think for yourself. This is, what I, this is what I mean. If you choose to take the vaccine, that's your choice. If you choose not to, that's your choice. I'm not going to be telling people to be vaccinated. So I say that to say that in our age, um, as since I'm, I'm in my mid-40s, Steve, you're a bit older. Yeah, a little bit. But, but just think about this. We're living in a day and age where Kennedy is being ostracized. I would have never thought that would happen. But if you travel down that road of being a true activist and being someone who's willing to stand up for any cause that you may have that's right. There's a price to pay. The price to pay. Yeah. And A. Philip Randolph, what, another thing about A. Philip Randolph, which is interesting, is he had the ear, and this is the, 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 the most craziest thing, and it's a head-scratcher for me, is even from the time of Frederick Douglass until now, that anybody Black who has stood up has always had a direct line to the sitting president. A. Philip Randolph, I forget what president, was, on, was sitting during his prime, he basically had a direct line and had open communication with a sitting president. So it's like, <laughs> how does this stuff keep happening over and over and over again, over and over and over again? It's like um, living in the matrix for real. Yeah. Well, lady and gentlemen, I have enjoyed our conversation tonight as usual. And I thank you all for giving me your time and attention. 
Uh, how about next week we talk about suffrage, the voting rights, as it's called today. We kind of touched on it a little bit and how things haven't really changed. So what do you say we have that conversation next week? Are, are we going to talk about the suffrage movement? Yeah. Oh, boy, Steve. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy, Steve. Why not? Oh, oh this, this is going to be interesting for me. There you uh, go. Hey, you know, you know me, I, I don't just some difficult topics. Susan B. Anthony and Stanton, I wasn't good fans of once I started reading certain stuff. Okay. Um, I have a lot to say about that. Oh yeah, great. And so feminists and the, the, yeah, all of that. Uh, <laughs> I have a I I will probably surprise a lot of people with my opinion. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> we'll be looking forward to it. Hey Steve, all I can say is I, I appreciate um once again for the invite. And um it is always an honor to come on your show and it's fun to be able to be a guest. Um, and to be able to share my crazy thoughts sometimes, which I don't really show on my show because it's not about me. Um, it, <laughs> it's interesting when you, when, you, when you love to read and you love to study history and you see it continue to repeat, to repeat itself and you realize um, you, can you can lay a big mark on your legacy, but you're just a little... Yeah. In the whole grand scheme of things. And who was it that said the more things change, the more they stay the same? Somebody said that. Uh, I, I, look, I'm just ready. I'm just ready for Essence next week because I'm going to have my popcorn. I'm going to make sure I pop some popcorn for this one because listen, you, listen, Essence, you can say things that mm -hmm. me, Bob, and Steve cannot say. Oh, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> Trust me, I am. I am. I know how to think for myself. Yeah, because I can form my own opinion. Me, me Bob, and Steve, we can't say things because uh, they, 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 they'll come after us. They're gonna come after me too, but I fight back. <laughs> I got y'all. Don't worry about it. Well, I'm really glad to have all three of you here. I really am. I feel privileged and honored, and I thank you all. Appreciate it, Steve. Oh, thank you for having thank me. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate thank it. Thank you all. You, all have... you guys have a great week. Yeah, you too. And thanks, folks, for tuning in to Conversations About America. Please tune in each and every Sunday evening for your weekly dose of educational entertainment. And good evening to all of you. And until next time, stay smart. Something. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> See ya.